All right, we've been studying uh, the idea of triumphing over sinful fear. And we've got a lot of notes tonight, some of it's review, and a lot of it's going on. But I want to kind of finish this lesson tonight. So hang on to your hat and let's go. Are you ready? Are you ready? So let's go. Again, sinful fear. What is sinful fear? That is when we do not trust God and we run away from Him during hard times instead of running to Him. We get afraid, and rather than going to God like we should, that's the fear of the Lord, we run to Him for His protection, and we know that He will take care of us, and, and we know that He's powerful enough to take care of us, and strong enough to take care of us, and wise enough, and He sees the end of the situation better than we do, and He knows all these things, and so we should go to Him, but instead we think, well, I can handle this one, or this is too big even for Him, or... And so we just do it ourselves, and then we find ourselves in a mess. And that's what we're trying to avoid. The effects of this kind of fear are really devastating to us. They, they cripple our evangelistic efforts. We're too afraid to speak up for the Lord. You, ever, you know what that's like? Be out there on the street, and you, want it, you know somebody, the Lord kind of prompts you and said, you should say something, or you should hand that person a track, you should leave, leave a track at the restaurant, you should... Leave a track with the person on the, in, the, in the car you're riding with uh, when you get an Uber or something like that. And you say, yeah, I don't think so. That's, that's when sinful fear kicks in. And I'm not trying to shame you into doing that. But if the Lord prompts you to do it and you don't do it, then you're, you're bowing to sinful fear. So it's important that we don't do that. And what happens is when, we, when Christians become fearful and they stop obeying God, God is dishonored. Our testimony is damaged, and evangelism just goes out the door. And so we want to be effective for the Lord, and the only way to do that is to really trust Him and follow Him. So let's look again. There's more effects of this sinful fear. We talked about it beginning last week. Um, You know, it's impossible to fear God and live in sinful fear at the same time. You just can't do it. If you're fearing God, then you are bold and able to overcome whatever's coming at you. And we're going to talk even a little bit about that today. And, uh, I mean, nothing really scares someone who is really walking with the Lord. If you know you're in the dead center of God's will, you need to understand when you are doing what God wants you to do, you're invincible until God's done with you. You don't believe that. Think about the book of Daniel. And you got a guy named Daniel who ends up in a lion's den. Nobody... I mean, I don't think the lions even went over and licked on him. I don't think they sniffed him. I think they stayed away from him because they knew he was where God wanted him to be. And then you got, uh, then the next morning they pulled Daniel out and the ones who falsely accused him and tried to get him into trouble, they drop him into the, I remember hearing this story as a child and, and they, they were really pretty graphic. It was, it was really kind of scary. And, uh, and they talked about how, how the next morning they pulled Daniel out and threw a rope down there and pulled Daniel out of the den and then they, then the next, the, the guys who, who made all the accusations against him, they started dropping him down there. And before they hit the ground, you could hear their bones crunching and they were hollering. And boy, it was gone. Now, I mean, that, the lions took care of those guys. Then you think of the, I, I, I remember hearing in Sunday school and hearing in, in vacation Bible school about, about the three Hebrew children who would not bow down and, and worship the, the, the idol that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And he said, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And they said, well... Okay, we're doing what God wants us to do, and if that's where he wants us, that's where we'll go. And they went in the fiery furnace and walked around, and the Lord was with them. And Nebuchadnezzar saw them. 
And they walked out, and there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothing. And the only thing that burned off were the ropes that were tied to their hands when they went in. God took, takes care of those who trust him, those who fear him. And we need, to, we need to do that. Now, that doesn't mean we'll never have trouble. I mean, remember, they took Jesus and put him on a cross, right? And they drove nails into his hands and stuck a spear in his side and put nails in his feet, and he died. But he rose again. And you and I may die for the cause of Christ, but we will rise again. And so we'll go through what God wants us to go through. And when he's done with us and when we're effectively accomplishing his work, we are invincible. And when we're done, he says, okay, let's go home. And he takes care of his own all the way through to the end. So we can trust him. We trust him completely. Now, there are six effects. We talked about this. When you're living in sinful fear, what happens? You are distracted. You are deceived. Uh, and, you, and you live in deception. You are vulnerable. And you're beginning to get into cowardice. And there's this spiral that happens. And you step into from cowardice into something really bad called apostasy, which is where you really completely turn your back on God and say, I'm going to do it my own way. And then eventually you end up in this thing called bondage, which is where you're just stuck. And because you're walking away from God, he says, all right. The Bible talks about a time when, when God gives us our requests and sends leanness to our soul. He says, all right, that's the way you want to live. You can live that way, but you're going to be miserable. And that's because you want to live that way. So we want to talk about those things. So let's look at this. We talked talk last week about the first two. Let's hit those again. Distraction. Distraction. Focusing on your concerns more than God's concerns. We have so many things we try to get done. We've got to get all these things done. I have to accomplish this and this and this and this and this and this. And I have this goal and I have that goal and I have this accomplishment and I, have, I want to get this award and I want to get this amount of money and I want to have this career and I want to have... And we need to stop and say, all right, what does God want me to do? And let's focus on what God wants us to do. And it may be he wants you to be a multi-billionaire. I hope so. We need some. That helps pay the bills, you know. Uh, and God may want you to be a nurse. Or God may want you to be a, a truck driver like Ray. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, fine, go do it. But do it in the will of God. And don't get distracted by your own goals and your own plans and your own ambitions. Trust in the Lord. When we live by our own ambitions, we run in this fear of failing. I'm not, I may not make it. I'm trying really hard to get there. And no matter what I do, I, I just can't seem to get over the edge. When you're in the will of God, he opens doors for you in ways that no, nobody else can. And he helps you to get to where he wants you to be. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied that the Lord Jesus was coming to help take away some of those distractions. In Luke chapter 1, verse 74 and 75, uh, he says that the Lord, the Messiah, was coming to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. All right? And we are to, we, when we are serving the Lord, there's no fear in that. And, uh, and, and that's what we need to do. The Apostle Paul knew how to focus on serving the Lord. And he said, just keep your focus on what does God want you to do. And in his days, there was persecution going on. People were being arrested. People were being, their families were being torn apart. There's all kinds of things happening. The Apostle Paul, you know, was traveling all over, starting churches in different places. Some of the places where he was starting churches, pastors were getting arrested. Churches were being, being uh, attacked. There was, there was things that were happening. And he said, in that situation, in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about if, if you keep your eyes focused on the Lord, if you're not married, it'd probably be better for you not to get married 
and just stay focused on doing what God wants you to do. Now, go to the next page, and, and we're not going to read all of that. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can read more about that and the idea of, of single living. And uh, if, you are, if you've been called to single living and, you're, and you've not been called to be married, then, hey, stay there and serve the Lord. And, uh, and one day, maybe the Lord will put you with a mate if that's His will. I used to tell people when I, when I was working with young people in, in, in Guam and another place, I used to tell them, I said, you, you, you want to find out who to date? You look at somebody over there who's serving the Lord and giving it their all. And then you go over here and you serve the Lord and give him your all. And who knows, maybe the Lord will put the two of you together and you can serve the Lord together. I remember when my wife and I were dating. We, we, that's my high school sweetheart. She was younger than these teenagers over here when I first met her. She was 14 years old. I raised her right. And, uh, and uh, so was I. <laughs> but we went to a date, on a date, and, and then we just became friends. And then we graduated from high school. And then I said, well, the Lord's calling me to go to one school. And I said, you ready to go? And she says, the Lord's calling me to go to that school. And I'm going, are you kidding? And, uh, and so she went to that school, and I went to this school. And we wrote a lot of letters, and we got married afterwards because we both said we want to serve God more than we want to be married. And God, in his timing, put us together, and it stuck. And she's still stuck with me for 38 years now, I think it is. So, and uh, I'm not complaining. I don't know about her, but I'm not complaining, okay? So, uh, page 4, you need to understand when it talks about single living in 1 Corinthians 7, it's not an indictment on married life. It's not that at all. It's just saying, just know that if you do get married and God puts you together, you're going to have some distractions that single people don't have. You're going to have to worry about that kid in the middle of the night who's sick and you've got to take care of him. You're going to have to wonder about what's going to happen to my family if I do this for the Lord. And that's going to be a concern for you. And uh, there are times when God calls a man and he, he believes the Lord wants him to go to a certain place to serve. I know of some who wanted to go to the mission field and then their wife just had an illness that wouldn't let them go there. And they, had, they couldn't go there and it hindered them from accomplishing what the man thought he wanted to do. But God had to change his heart and found him another place of ministry. And that's the way it works sometimes. So just understand, it's not an indictment, but just the whole idea here is stay focused on what God wants you to do and don't let yourself be deceived by other things that can distract you from, uh, from accomplishing His will. When you get distracted, your devotional life becomes lackluster. You're not thinking about the things of the Lord. All you're thinking about is your, your, your own goals and your own life. John Flavel says, whoever lacks possession of his thoughts never offers up his soul to God. All I'm thinking about is whatever they're throwing at me, I've got to deal with it. I'm in the middle of page 4 here now. Verse, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever thing is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any excellence and if any worth, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice those things, and the God of peace will be with you. And if you watch the Apostle Paul, you know that he was totally focused on the gospel and whatever it was God wanted him to do. And he let nothing deter him, whether it be a shipwreck or being thrown out into the streets and having rocks thrown at him. Whatever it was, he never let himself get distracted from the will of God. It's hard to focus your thoughts toward heaven when your mind is distracted by earthly distresses. It just is. And you're always worried about things. So take those burdens to the Lord and leave them there like we talked about on Sunday and, and then go on and do what God would have you to do. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Make that the focus of your life. Your devotional life will be, be richer. You'll get more out of your Bible reading. You'll get more to, out of your prayer life. You'll find your walk with the Lord being nice and warm, and you'll be on fire for the Lord. Turn your eyes on Jesus. That's the song we looked at last week. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Hmm. Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Everything I've needed in ministry, God's given me. Not always when I wanted it, but I've always had it, and a lot more sometimes. We put the Lord first, and he takes care of us. So keep your devotional life where it ought to be. That devotional life means I'm focused on the Lord. Um, when, you, when your devotional life becomes bad and you beget, you're, you're distracted, you have trouble believing in God's promises. You're thinking about all your troubles instead of thinking about God's promises. Last week we talked about those Hebrew slaves. They were worried about Pharaoh, and they were worried about those taskmasters who were coming at them and making them do things they didn't want to do. And then Moses comes in and says, God says we're going to let you, he's going to let you free. God's going to set you free. You're going to, he's going to stop all of this and you're going to have, be able to go to the promised land. And uh, it says at the end of verse 9 in Exodus chapter 6, uh, they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. All they were focusing on was their troubles instead of focusing on the promises of God. And you and I, when we get there, we can do that. And, uh, and, and that's very, very devastating to us. David was sometimes distracted by sinful fear. You know, King David, the mighty warrior, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. And yet, there was a time when he said, Saul's going to get me. In 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. And he got his eyes on Saul instead of on the Lord, and he forgot that God had called him to be king. He even believed that Samuel had lied to him. All the people had lied to him when they said he was going to be king. And he wrote in Psalm 116, verse 10 and 11, I believed when I said I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Nobody's telling me the truth. He's focusing on the wrong things instead of focusing on the promise of God. Thankfully, one day the Lord didn't let him become king. And then all those fears were set aside. Well, sometimes when we get focused on the wrong things, we forget past victories. You say, what victories? Well, if you're a Christian, you've had one victory already. Your sins have been forgiven and you're on your way to heaven, and that's a wonderful thing. And you need to remember that. Don't forget that. Remember the day you came to know the Lord as Savior. Talk about it a lot. Uh, Thank the Lord regularly for your salvation. Thank the Lord that he gave you his word. Thank the Lord that he sent somebody to you to show you how to become a believer and uh, that you were able to do that. Thank the Lord for things that he's done for you in the past when you get discouraged. Well, God got me through that. I guess he'll get me through this, right? And that sure helps an awful lot. I'm I'm thankful for trials I've been through because I've seen the victories on the other side. And so now when the next trial comes, I'm not quite as scared as I was the first time it came by. And uh, we get stronger that way. We grow. Isaiah 51, verse 12. What happens? We forget the Lord. You have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth that you feared continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. You see trouble coming and you forget God created that troublemaker. And just the same God who said, let there be light and the God who put breath in the man, he can take it away just as quickly as he wants, as he did before. 
I read, I think it was today, about, about God saying, I'm going to destroy that army, and all you have to do is just wait and see how I'm going to do it. And then they went out the next morning, and they woke up, and they found all these guys out there laying out there dead, 189,000 of them laying dead. God sent an angel, took care of it. One angel, 189,000 soldiers, and uh, the angel won. So I don't have anything to worry about. God's going to take care of me. Let's stay focused on what God wants us, not get distracted by however big the enemy may seem to be. All right. John Flavel ends that section on dis- distraction. He says, The distracting fear of enemies will divert us from our duty. If we worry about the enemy, if David worried about the lions, he wouldn't have been praying. If the three Hebrew children had worried about the fire, they would have been bound to that idol. Right? But they did what was right because they focused on God. Effect number two, deception. Justifying wrong actions because you can't see clearly. Uh, in the days of Isaiah, uh, Israel feared God and, and, uh, and uh, they feared that God had deserted him. To, so they turned to the idols of the nations that, had, that they had previously defeated. I don't understand that. Doesn't make much sense. But they did. And, uh, and, and uh, Isaiah told them in Isaiah 57 verse 11, Of whom were you worried and fearful when you lied and did not remember me, nor gave me a thought? So what happened was they were saying they were worshiping God, but at the same time they were worshiping idols. James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You cannot go forward as a Christian and still be worried about the things of the world. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. That's not on your paper. But you could write that reference down if you like. Isaiah 26 3 and verse 4 is another good verse that you could put down there. So we want to make sure we stay focused on the Lord and not get distracted and not be deceived. We see things that look like they're bigger than God and they're not. You know, perspective is 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 a funny thing. The things that are happening to us right now seem a lot bigger than God who created the world way back then. And God who we're one day going to see in the future, right? Just came to mind a, a story an African missionary told me one time about a time an airplane came down. They were coming down into the African bush to land out in a field. And the natives saw that the plane was coming and they knew the plane was coming. So they went out there and they cleared out a place in the, in the brush for that airplane to come in. Because somebody in the village was sick and the missionary was coming in to pick them up and haul them out to a doctor. And so the airplane comes flying in and he gets in and he lands right there on the strip. And the chief is looking at him and he looks at the missionary and says, I'm not getting in that thing. He says, well, why not? He says, that, that could hurt you. He says, how could that hurt you? He says, you know, that thing, it goes up in the air and it gets so small. It, it could squish you when it gets up there. Perspective. He didn't understand perspective. And the farther away it gets, sometimes it looks smaller. And sometimes we think God is way out there and he's so small, but he's not. He's not. And we need to trust him very, very much. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says, No man, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Don't let yourself get distracted and deceived by wealth. You think, I need this, I need this, I need that, I need... Maybe you don't. Having food and raiment therewith be content. That's what Bible, the Bible says. You got a place to sleep, you got something to eat, you got something to wear. We're all thankful for that. Be thankful. God's given you what you need. 
Okay? Now, when good and godly people succumb to fear and they get distracted and they get, they get uh, deceived into thinking that the problem is bigger than them, then they, even the best of us, can fall into sin and full fear. And you know about how Adam, or Abraham and Isaac lied and, uh, and, and how, how they called their wives sisters and they weren't. And uh, even the pagan king said, that's wrong. And what happens is God is dishonored. Other believers are weakened. People who look at that and say, that's the way a Christian acts. If Christians can't be faithful to the Lord, how in the world can I try? If that good Christian, like that guy that I highly respected, falls into sin, how can I live this Christian life? And then our own conscience is wounded. We, you can look at those notes from last week and this week and just kind of review that. Let's go on to the third one. We'll end that uh, idea on deception. Such flaws in integrity will keep us awake at night, and they will also cause distraction for other people. Now, effect number three, vulnerability. We talked about this. If we're, we started to talk about this, and we ran out. If, if, you, are, if you are distracted and deceived, you then become vulnerable. You're, you're, you're vulnerable for Satan's attack. He knows you got, he's got your eyes off of God. He knows that you are open to whatever is going to come your way. And if something comes along and it turns your head, and it can suck you in, just like that spider web on the bottom of that page six. You know, Flip Wilson. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? Anybody remember him? Yeah, some of you guys are so young. You're so young. I am so old, but I remember this comedian getting on, on, on TV and had the variety show and stuff, and he used to, used to gyrate around. He said, well, the devil made me do it, you know. Well, the devil doesn't make us do anything. But if he knows we're leaning his way, he's going to do everything he can to keep pushing us that way. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. We get our eyes off the Lord, and the devil comes after us, and it's real easy to fall. On the top of the next page, page 7, you see a picture of this young man here. He's been dejected by his friends. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be fitting in with anybody. And, and, and this is something It's a big problem for teenagers, but I'll guarantee you, Adults, it's a problem for us too, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. We want to fit in with everybody around us. And Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. If you've been deceived and you've been distracted, then you are vulnerable to being pulled into something the devil wants you to pull into. I've I got to do this in order to fit in with somebody else. Young people, sometimes it's drugs, sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's, it's other things, stealing. Uh, sometimes it's beating up other people because everybody says that's cool to do. With us, older people, sometimes it's, well, you know, you've got to get ahead. You've got you to cheat a little bit on your taxes. You've got to get ahead. You've got to take a little bit out of the till. Whatever it is you've got to do. If it feels good, you do it, and everybody else is doing it, so it's okay. And that's what happens is we become deceptive, deceived and we get sidetracked and then we are vulnerable to falling into sin. That's what happened to Moses' brother Aaron. Here he is, the high priest of Israel, the one who was supposed to be leading everybody in the worship of the Lord. Moses goes up to the mountain to get the law of God, to speak to God. The people have seen the fire and the, the lightning and the smoke and the, and the mountain shaking and God said, don't come up here. And they were down at the bottom, and Moses was up there a long time. And while he was up there, they started saying, oh, he's dead. He's a goner. 
we need to we need to come up with some god of our own because that god's not the one we want to serve we're scared to death of him and so they talked moses or aaron into creating this golden calf right and then moses comes down and and the people have been worshiping i think it's i think it's 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 a it's an indication of something about music when Moses comes down, Joshua's up on the mountain with Moses, and they come down and they hear those people worshiping that golden calf. And Joshua's response is, it sounds like a war down there. I don't think they were singing Amazing Grace. I don't know what they were doing down there. But I don't think it was honoring to God. And when God got, Moses got down there, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 20, then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourselves, that they are prone to evil. He's distracted, he's deceived, and he's vulnerable. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. It's the people's fault. It, I, I, I was deceived. I was, I was sidetracked, and so I became vulnerable, and so I went ahead and did this. And he got punished for it, just like the rest of them did. God uh, was, was out of their minds. They were not thinking about God at that time. So what happens? The fearful uh, step out of God's protection. They, they stopped worshiping God, and they got themselves into trouble. When we move from the shelter of God's protection, we're like birds wandering from their nest. Have you ever found a little bird that fell out of its nest? When I was a kid, we used to find them. Yeah, they're down there, and they're very vulnerable. I mean, it, most of them don't make it. It's really important that we stay close to the Lord so we don't become vulnerable and fail. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 8 says, Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. And our home should be wherever God is. The Lord has put us all over the world, and I've had people ask me, so where's home? I said, oh, I don't know. Wherever God wants us, that's where home is, and that's where we need to be. So sinful fear can make even the best of men do the most ridiculous things. And uh, David wandered from the Lord for a little while. He was, got afraid of Saul, and, and out here, down there, he ends up in, 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 uh, in Gath, uh, where King Achish is there, and and he's afraid of the Philistine king. And so what he does is he starts acting like he's an insane man. Can you imagine it? I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to act it out. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you'd, you'd believe it too much if I did it. But 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10 says, David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of the one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And... David took these words to heart and greatly feared King Achish, uh, Achish of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. Boy, he was making a mess of himself. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? So David must have really been a good actor. And, uh, and, and you know what? Fear makes us act like a crazy person sometimes. You ever been scared? Yeah, I have. I love it. I love, it. I love to stand right outside the bathroom door when my wife comes out in the morning sometimes. I just stand there. She comes out and goes, Bleh! I don't have to say anything. I just stand there and just laugh. But we, we, when, we, when we get scared, we do crazy things, don't we? 
and, and, and she does it to me too, so I'm not the only one, all right? <laughs> She's not quite as scary as I am, but it works. All right, the, vulnerable are, uh, the, the fearful are vulnerable to compromise with God's enemies. And that's what happens. And we talked about this Sunday, how uh, Peter got fearful, and he was vulnerable, and they arrest Jesus, and so he starts compromising with the enemy and hanging out with the enemy and ends up cursing and acting like the enemy instead of acting like the follower of the Lord. You get vulnerable, and you fall into sin like Peter did, and then you have to deal with the outcome of that. All right, then the fearful can grow impatient with God's timings and methods. Just thinking of that, I'm thinking of Abraham and Sarah just now. Again, as I go through these things, these things from Scripture that I've read have come out. Remember, Abraham and Sarah, they want to have a child. They want to have a child. God said, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. You're going to be the father of many nations. And then she turns 90 and no kids. And so she said, well, I got a handmaid. Go ahead and do what you need to do there and let's have a child with him. And Ishmael's born. Abraham got distracted, deceived, and became vulnerable and fell into sin because he got impatient with God. That's what happens when we run ahead of the Lord. We fall into sin. We read this Sunday, I think, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with his exultation. If you revile for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You just got to wait for God and one day you'll be glorified with him. So we have to be patient and wait on God's timing. Go to the next page, page 9. In God's perfect timing, he resolves our difficulties according to his terms and not our terms. In Isaiah chapter 51, the children of Israel had gone into captivity. And God told Isaiah the prophet, they're going to be set free. He says in verse 14, the exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. The problem is God's soon is not always as soon as our soon would be. We want it now. God says, not yet, not yet, not yet. In my perfect timing, it'll be right. In my perfect timing. You just be faithful. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking right now. And the Lord brought in my mind. Can you imagine Noah? Go build an ark. It's going to rain. How long did he build that ark? How often did he have to deal with people making fun of him? How often did people tell him, you're, you're a crazy person building a boat in the middle of the desert? What are you doing? That huge boat? What are you doing? God told me to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. Soon that flood's coming. How soon? A long time. Hundreds of years. But it did come, didn't it? You see, we have to be patient and wait on the Lord and not run ahead of him. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 10 says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, so, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. We don't understand God's plan. We don't. But in his time, it's going to come to pass. And so we have to be patient and let him do his work and get on his schedule. Do everything you can while you're waiting. Serve him faithfully while you're waiting. 
but don't let yourself become fearful and say he's not moving fast enough. Effect number four, when we get distracted, we get deceived, then we get vulnerable, we fall into sin, what happens is we really fall into this cowardice thing. That guy on that page, page nine, he looks terrified, doesn't he? Bless his heart, I feel so bad for him. He's terrified. I don't know, that guy may have something wrong, I'm not sure. But he is really scared. How sad it is to see God's people sometimes discouraged and hopeless and living in defeat. And I see this sometimes. I, we, I, I, I can't go into details, but we hear about people who are just they, they just, they just shut down because they've, they're just so scared. This COVID thing has shut down a lot of people. Uh, getting a shot or not getting a shot and what you're going to do and how you're going to deal with that. It, it's, it's scared a lot of people. And, and I'm, I'm not telling you to do one, one thing or the other. I, we, we get that advice and I don't want to talk about all that stuff. You, can, you decide what you're going to do. Let every man be convinced in his own mind. At the same time, let's not do what we do because we're scared to death. Let's do because we thought it through and we ask God what he wants us to do and then go do what God wants us to do. And don't live in cowardice and fear. Just don't. The Hebrew slaves saw the hand of God in their deliverance from Egypt through the plagues that destroyed the nation that held them captive for over 400 years. They saw God destroy Pharaoh's armies when the sea walls crashed down on them and drowned them in the Red Sea. They had seen the fire of God on Mount Horeb and other miraculous provisions from the Lord. And yet when Israel was moving into the promised land, God had to constantly remind them that they had no reason for fear. And there's verses there. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 21, the, the God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not, be, do not fear nor be dismayed. Deuteronomy 20, verse 3 and 4, do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is, with, is the one who goes with you. He will not fail or forsake you. It's a very dangerous thing to live in cowardice because then when you're so afraid, you will not do what God wants you to do. You can't function. You just shut down. It's dangerous. It's ineffective. You're not going to be effective as a witness if you're living in cowardice. You're just not. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he said, I, have, I will be with you. He says in verse, uh, verse 18, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm going to be with you. I have all authority to overcome whatever it is you're afraid of. You walk with me, do what I want you to do, tell the gospel, spread the gospel, and I will give you what you need, the power and the, and the strength that you need to do it. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have been commanded to be fearless in the will of God. Fearless. Now, Fear, I, I, you know, I look up pictures and try to find pictures that fit with an idea, concept. If you type into, you know, like Shutterstock and you look up fearless, you're going to see a whole lot of pictures of foolish. You know what I'm talking about? Fearless. Fearless means you do the will of God. Foolish means I'm going to jump over this cliff, see if I can make it to the other side. Foolish means I'm going to try to ride a rhinoceros or something, you know, something dumb. You know, I'm just going to, I, uh, well, you know, I can do it. I'm going to skateboard down Lombard Street on my hands, you know. What? What is the matter with you? That's something wrong with That's not fearless. That's foolish. I don't care who you are. 
No. God doesn't call us to be, live, to, to be foolish with our lives. He calls us to be fearless. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Be fearless in the will of God, not foolish in your own will. Looking for a thrill. Okay? 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, even you women. Be strong. Right? We're supposed to do what we can to trust the Lord. John Flavel shared several examples of this in his book. How many of you got the book? All right, if you got the book, it's a good book. You've got to kind of go through some old English. So let me just kind of share with what some of the things that he was talking about. Um, but there was a, a, a bishop or a pastor from Caesarea named Basil. Uh, and uh, he was a man of great courage. And Flavius Valens, the emperor of Rome at that time, was persecuting Christians. And he threatened to torment Pastor Basil. And his reply was, Offer these things to children. Offer your threats to children. You go ahead and try to scare the kids. You're not going to scare me. He says, threaten these things to your purple gallants, or the political allies that you follow around. You can scare them into following you, but I'm not afraid of you. Um, Who give themselves to pleasure and afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. I'm in the will of God. If God wants to take me home, that's fine. I'm going to serve him till I die. That's the courage that was seen in the lives of the early Christians. That's the courage we see of missionaries today sometimes on the mission field. I, I still, I'm just absolutely impressed by, by, by Brother Babalola, who's gone down to Nigeria. He came from there. He grew up there. He knows what that nation is. And he came to the United States, and he could have done very well here in the United States. And he said, God's called me to go back to Nigeria. I know what I'm getting into. I know the trouble. I know how hard it's going to be. But that's where God wants me. So I'm going back. And I'm taking my family with me. I have a lot of respect for that. I need to remember to pray for those people as they serve the Lord in a place like that. That's the kind of courage we need. Hey, if we're going to do this in San Francisco and we're going to reach people for the cause of Christ, we've got to be bold like these people. Right? Before Valens, Emperor Valens persecuted people, Emperor Julian had called for the persecution of Christians. And one of Julian's nobles came back and gave a report. He said, he said We're ashamed, O Emperor, the Christians laugh at your cruelty and grow more resolute by it. The more you torment them, the more they preach. That's what he's saying. Lactant- Lactantius, I don't know how, they, who, how to say that. But he was a Christian author back in those days. And he said, our women and children, not to speak of our men, overcame their torments. The fire cannot fetch so much as a sigh from them. All right, Christian, do you have that kind of courage? Are you ready for that kind of fire if God brings it? We need to pray for that kind of thing. We can't do it in our own strength, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. He'll give you what you need when you need it. Probably not until you need it. Right? Like the printer upstairs, it doesn't come out until it absolutely has to come out. It finally comes out. And the whole time you're going, come on, wake up, printer. But that's the way it is. God gives us exactly what we need at the time. 
Now, the bottom of page 10 there, there's a box there by John Flavel. If carnal fear is ascendant over us, or it means it's overpowering over us, our courage and resolution melt away. When this happens, we might still suffer out of unavoidable necessity, but we'll never suffer in a manner that honors Christ and religion. Bob Jones University put out a film several years back, a long time ago, I think I was in high school at the time, called Flame in the Wind. It talks about, during the Spanish Inquisition, about how Christians were treated, and it talked about, and, and they showed in the film, with special effects obviously, some people burning at the stake. But the testimony of those men was a, the, the movie was a, was a reflection of the testimony of those men who were faithful, and how they just prayed and trusted the Lord, and like Stephen in the book of Acts, they just basically trusted their soul to God and went to heaven in the middle of their trial. Did they die at the stake? Of course they did. Did they die in the flames? Of course they did. But they glorified God as they went. And that's the way we should be living our lives, glorifying God along the way. Let's quickly look at these last two things. And you can read on these later because we're not, I'm not going to come back to this anymore. Apostasy. Flip on down to page 12. Flip on down to page 12. I just want to hit this quickly. There's a lot of notes here. There's a lot of verses here. If you're watching the live stream and you didn't get it, contact the office and we'll send you the notes. But on page 12, in the middle of it, you see that paper airplane twirling and going downhill. As I was studying today, it just occurred to me that this is what happens when we, when we start down the road for sinful fear. It's a downward trend. At first, it distracts us from the goodness of God. Then it deceives us into thinking there's a better way than God's way. And when we start giving in to sinful fear, we become even more vulnerable to Satan's attack and sin. And our, and, uh, and our belief in God fades. And then sinful fear leads to cowardice, which can quickly become apostasy. The total abandonment of all faith in God and His goodness. And then we end up in bondage, which is the end up in hopeless bondage, which cripples our effectiveness in the work of God. Apostasy. That's not a word we use all the time, but it's basically saying, God, I don't believe you anymore. I don't believe what you say. I don't believe your word. I don't believe. I'm done. And you walk away. I've seen people do that. You've seen people do that. That's a dangerous, dangerous place. And it all begins by being afraid. I don't, I'm afraid to take a stand anymore. I can't take it. I just can't take it. I can't handle it. God, you're not big enough. And then they find themselves in bondage. God says, okay, that's what you want. You can have it. And they find themselves in a hopeless condition because they can't get out in their own strength. Quickly, on page 13, the bondage of sinful fear destroys all of life's comforts and pleasures. Um, a guy named Democles uh, told a story about Dionysius, a tyrant who, who offered a man all kinds of wealth. And he says, you can eat this great meal and do all this stuff. Did you see that line in the middle of page 13? That represents a, a, a horse hair that he tied to an extremely razor-sharp sword and hung it over that guy's head and said, go ahead and eat. 
The guy says, I can't eat. That thing's going to come down and get me. And he was worried the whole time, worried the whole time. And I can't enjoy this meal. That thing's going to get me. When we turn our way away from the Lord, that's the way we feel like. I'm going to get, something's going to get me constantly. There's no hope. There's no way out. You can't enjoy life. Ecclesiastes talks about this. There's an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. In the middle of page 13. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. This is vanity and severe affliction. It's like having COVID and you've lost all your taste. How good is it to eat? What good is that steak? You're in a hopeless state and you can't enjoy life. Because you do not have the presence of the Lord in your life anymore. You've walked away from God and you're in a place of hopelessness. Howard Hughes, a very wealthy man. Some of you heard the story about him. Wealthy man. He, he's the one who built the Spruce Goose, the largest wooden aircraft that was ever made, I think. And uh, was a very, very wealthy man. When he died, his estate was worth $1.5 billion, which is about $5.3 billion today. A lot of money, but at the end of his life, he sat in a room by himself, naked, because he didn't want germs from clothes. He wouldn't cut his fingernails because he didn't want to cause himself to bleed. He was worried about getting a haircut because he was afraid somebody was going to slice his, sli, sli, slit his throat. He lost his mind because he lived in fear of losing what he had. And he lost it anyway. Right? He died. How much did Howard Hughes leave behind? What's the three-letter word we all want to say? All of it. Right. Bill Gates will do the same. If they don't trust the Lord, they'll leave it all. Yes, sir. He did everything by himself. He never gave God any credit for anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then where did, what good did that do him? Not much. Not much. Didn't do him much good. Well, the bondage of sinful fear destroys faith in the comforts of God's promises. And there's a whole page on page 14 of promises. And those are just a sampling of promises that God has for us. And we won't take a look at them all. Just read, read one. Middle of that verse. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. You can trust the Lord. Exodus 15, 6, at the bottom of the page, your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So you do not need to live in sinful fear. But frankly, it's your choice. Are you going to fear God? Or are you going to fear man and all these other things? You fear God, you win. You fear man and have your way and do your thing, you lose. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we fear God properly, we need not fear anything or anyone else. I like this quote from John Flavel, page 15, top of the page. Let those who have no God to whom they can turn, no promise upon which they can rely, fear in the day of evil. I have no cause to do so. Thank the Lord. I serve an all-powerful God. I don't have to live in sinful fear. Father, thank you for this lesson and the many things that I personally have learned through it. I pray that you help us not to get cocky in our flesh and trust in our own flesh to do your will, but to walk with you and to fear you as we should and trust you with all of our heart and let you guide us through our lives.
For those who haven't trusted you as Savior, Lord, continue to draw them to yourself and bring them to the place of salvation soon in your perfect timing. In Jesus' name we pray.